Hello and welcome to here's Johnny's reviews and the summer of Super rolls on with Iron Man, Marvel's last stitch attempt at building a franchise after the failure of Spider-Man 3 and well, Incredible Hulk. This was it all or nothing for Marvel, go big or go home as they bought most rights for most of their characters back. Anyway, this is the first movie in the Avengers timeline, Phase 1. The movie that gave Robert Downey Jr. his career back with a budget of $140 million. This thing pulled in $585 million and a franchise was born. New scratch that, a juggernaut was born. So, let's dive into this. Starring Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, Terence Howard, Jeff Bridges, Paul Bethany and John Favreau, directed by John Favreau. The plot, a carefree billionaire playboy, arms manufacturer, is kidnapped by terrorists and forced to build weapons. However, in a cave he builds himself a metal suit made out of scrap metal and junk pieces of technology. And Iron Man is born. After escaping and returning home, he turns a new leaf and stops making weapons. This pisses off his father figure and the two clash heads. Can Iron Man stop Warmonger? Let's find out if he is indeed Iron Man. So the movie opens up on the Marvel Flipping Pages logo, then onto a shot of a desert with a army convoy of Humvees as ACDC's Back in Black is blasting from one of them. In the back of one of the... Humvees, or Hummers actually, that's Humvees, anyway, is Tony Stark, played by Robert Downey Jr. of Chaplin, Gothica, Tropic Thunder, and Sherlock Holmes. He is basically playing himself with a drink in one hand and a glint in his eye. This scene instantly is dated, however, as a MySpace is referenced. What, they couldn't afford Facebook? Out of nowhere, the lead Hummer is taken out as panic ensues as Tony's Hummer is attacked and his entire escort is taken out with ease. Yeah, specially trained marines my arse, a couple of shots and they're dead, really. Mm. Tony runs for his life but is caught in a crossfire and hit by one of his own missiles. Days later, I think, it's not actually clear, he's awakened in front of a camera as the Ten Rings hold him captive. Ten Rings being the terrorist organisation that kidnapped him. Up comes the rather lacklustre titles as Iron Man splashes up. 36 hours earlier, at an award ceremony for Tony, we see pictures of young Robert Downey Jr. and Howard Stark Mark I, played by Gerald Sanders. Tony doesn't shop, so it's down to Rhodey, played by Terence Howard of Dead Presidents, a Begamama's house, Crash, Red Tails and Empire to cover for him. Up walks Obadiah Stane, played by Jeff Bridges of Tron, Starman the Big Lebowski, True Grit and R.I.P.D. to accept the award on Tony's behalf, as Tony is busy downstairs playing craps, surrounded by a woman and his long, long-suffering bodyguard slash driver slash best friend, Happy Hogan, played by John Favreau of Swingers, Deep Impact, Daredevil and Chef. Roddy chews out Tony for a no-show, but Tony doesn't care and continues to play his craps. Leaving the casino later that night, Tony is cornered by Vanity Fair writer Christine Everhart, played by Leslie Bibb, of The Skulls, Popular, Trick or Treat, a movie I covered last October, check my archives, Movie 43, and Netflix's The Babysitter. Her being an attractive blonde, Tony lets her in the back of limo and beds her that night. 
The next morning, Jarvis, voiced by Paul Bethany of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Bang Bang even, wobbled in the Da Vinci Code and the Avengers movies. Wake her up. And note, he did all his lines in two hours while on vacation. Anyway, as I was saying, he wakes her up as the camera pulls out to show Tony's clifftop mansion in Malibu. Tony's long-suffering assistant, Pepper Potts, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, of Sliding Doors, Shakespeare in Love, Seven and Shallow Howe, throws at the reporter, handing her a clothes, and indeed calling her trash, because she's a bloody bitch. In the garage, Tony is fixing his prized hot rod, as Pepper tries to get him to go out of the house to go to his plane, which was supposed to leave 90 minutes ago to his meeting in Afghanistan. And note, the script wasn't finished, and... Paltrow had trouble came up with Robert Downey Jr. and hated all the improv stuff that he'd done on set. In fact, these two has little to no chemistry and indeed hated each other. Also, John Favreau himself kept that hot rod. Hmm, interesting little nugget there. At the airport, Roddy is pissed that Tony is over three hours late, as within minutes of the plane taking off, Tony has the all-female flight crew pole dancing and Roddy drunk on sake. In Afghanistan, Tony's plane lands, and well you know the rest, except for Tony showing off his new weapon, the repulsive missile known as the Jericho, which blows up a mountain range with scatter bomb technology. And cue a flashback slash flash forward, I'm guessing, of Tony's slapdash operation to remove shrapnel from his heart, and a magnet to be placed in there to keep those shards out. And why, when he turned to America, didn't he get this thing taken out or did a heart transplant instead of waiting to Iron Man 3? It's beyond me. I mean, really? He's supposed to be a billionaire, but he can't afford decent surgeons to replace or whatever. Tony wakes up in a cave to find himself hooked up to a car battery that powers the magnet that keeps the shot out of his heart. Also, the surgeon operated him on him is Jensen, played by Sean Tome of Broken Arrow Stigmata. Crash, The Last Airbender, and Homeland. He tells him he had no choice but to put the magnet into his heart, as the shrapnel would kill him in less than a week otherwise. He also tells him that if he removes the magnet thing, he will be dead in two or two minutes, rather. Hmm, interesting. <clears throat> anyway, in barges the leader of the Ten Rings, demanding Tony build him a Jericho missile. He refuses, so he's waterboarded, then he's taken outside to be shown all the missiles and other goodies these Ten Rings actually own, all Stark technology. And why would you waterboard somebody who's hooked up to a car battery, if he's the only one who knows how to build missiles? Why would you try- oh, moving on. Tony then decides to turn over a new leaf, and agrees to build the terrorist Jericho missile, while secretly building an Iron Man suit Mark One out of scrap metal and junk pieces of technology in the cave. This is a fully armoured and armed 9 foot suit and note this suit was real and indeed weighed over 90 pounds. And cue an A-team style montage as Tony builds the suit and his shiny new arc reactor to remove the car battery. The leader of the Ten Rings grows impatient with Tony, so he holds Jensen down as he threatens to place a red-hot ember down his throat. The leader is Raza, played by Faroon Tahar of Star Trek 2009 and Elysium. 
The next morning, after working all night on building the suit, Tonin used it to escape, setting a light terrorist as he does so with the built-in flamethrowers. Jensen dies in the crossfire, so Tony blows up the camp sky-high and escapes. During the escape, the Mark I takes damage, so Tony flies off with it as it falls to pieces in mid-flight. Roddy finds Tony wandering around the desert. Handy that, because this is a huge desert and I find it within a matter of minutes. Okay then. And he takes him back to the United States, where Pepper tearfully greets him, then it's on to Burger King. Why Burger King, I hear you ask? Well, the reason why Robert Downey allegedly gave up drugs was one night he had a really bad burger from Burger King. This made him throw up and he decided to rethink his life choices and give up drugs on the spot, apparently, as the legend goes. He then calls a press conference to tell the press that he's no longer making weapons. This pisses off Obadiah. During the press circus, Pepper meets Agent Coulson of S.H.I.E.L.D., played by uh, Clark Gregg of One Hour Photo, We Were Soldiers, Avengers, and of course, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He gives her his card and sets up a meeting for the next day. The running joke is Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement Logistics Division is quite a mouthful, and it fucking well is. Hence why they shrunk it down to S.H.I.E.L.D. And note, the sit-down press conference was Robert Downey Jr.'s, Jr.'s idea, as he hates press junkets. Tony rushes to his factory, which holds a huge arc reactor, and Obadiah asks if he's insane and how much money they'll lose due to Tony saying he will no longer make weapons. He also asks to see Tony's mini-reactor. The next morning, some TV pundit is mocking Tony for no longer making weapons, as Tony calls down pipe, Pepper, even, to remove the old reactor and to be replaced with a shiny new one. And this scene was done ten or so times, as... Robert Downey was torturing Gwyneth Paltrow with the whole gunky goo stuff in the heart thing. And this chess piece looks cheap. You can tell a mile away this is a fake chess piece, as it has, doesn't have bloody nipples. Anyway, that afternoon, Tony visits Rhodey in an airbase to tell him he's building something big, but not for military use. Rhodey laughs in his face and tells him to get his mindset right. Cue scenes of Tony redesigning, uh the Iron Man suit Mark II. Meanwhile, Ten Rings comb the desert looking for the pieces of the Mark I. On to Tony building the suit with quote, help from dummy, a robotic arm which is the running butt of these three movies. And a video montage of him testing out the leg booster rocket type thingies and Basically, it's a YouTube video waiting to happen. Finally, Tony builds his suit and takes it for a test flight over Los Angeles. Cue the first of many shots of the head-up display. That does not make any sense to me. How does this HUD work? I mean, you see inside the mask multiple times and all you see is two teeny little TV screens yet over his eyes, yet the HUD looks like it's a space helmet suit type thing. How the fuck does that work? And note, the silver Iron Man suit is actually real and weighed well over 90 pounds and according to behind the scenes, John Favreau himself would wear it for mocap. Of course, Tony being a show-off doesn't listen to Jarvis's warning about going straight up to 85,000 feet as ice builds up on a suit, forcing it to free fall as Jarvis reboots, saving Tony last second from splatting into a pavement pizza. He returns home, lands crashing crash landing through three floors, and pancakes a gorgeous AC Cobra. 
then is hosed down by Dummy with fight signature because running joke. Tony finds a gift from Pepper on his desk. It's the Mark I reactor cased in glass with a plaque saying, Proof Tony Stark has a heart. As back in Afghanistan, the tank rings have found all the pieces of the Mark I suit and are rebuilding it due to Tony being an idiot and leaving the blueprints on the table and not setting the light when he to try to escape the fucking moron. Meanwhile, Tony and Jarvis are ironing out the kinks and making the Mark III with stronger metals and ability to fly in deep space, much important for later. Jarvis finishes the little touches as Tony asks for Hot Rod Red to be added to the old gold suit and goes to the watch show after seeing on TV the press thinks he's bedridden and did a basket case, as he's not been seen in several weeks. Speeding there in an Audi R8, the press and the girls swarm Tony and Q, the first of many, many, many Stan Lee cameos, of which Tony mistakes him for Hugh Hefner. This pisses off Obadiah as he smoozes the press talking about a rescue. Inside the party, Coulson approaches Tony to introduce himself and shield, but Tony bushes him off with him saying, quote, that's quite a mouthful you've got there, mate. Uh, he goes off to dance with Pepper as she's wearing a backless low-cut royal blue silk dress as this was a birthday present she bought herself from Tony's money. And this indeed is the start of romance between these two, which should have been cut. This is completely useless to the story. Christine from Vanity Fair approaches Tony at the bar. She hands him pictures of a ruined town called Galmira and how the Ten Rings have taken over the town. Because, you know, every Vanity Fair writer not only covers war zones, but carries pictures in the hope of meet meeting the head of the weapons company that made the weapons in the first place, because... reasons? Tony questions Obadiah, asked if he's double-dealing and doing shady deals under the table with the Ten Rings. As Obadiah just coldly telling Tony he was the one that filed the injunction in the first place and he was the one that turned the board against him, locking him off control of his own company. But it was, quote, for his own good, because of course it was the line. Back home, as Tony watches the news while tinkering with the suit gauntlet, he decides to do something about this. So he suits up, which takes a good minute, as his robots screw him into it. In the war zone, of a town, the Ten Rings separates the women and the men, lining all the men up to be shot against the wall. Tony lands in a superhero landing pose, and I wonder if it hurts his knees. Hmm. He takes out the Ten Ring guns with a few repulsor blasts and a well-fired missiles. Saving the village, he pulls out the cowardly leader from his hiding spot and leads to be him dealt with the villagers. Tony then takes out the Ten Rings camp outside the village after quickly dealing with a tank with my pet peeve of the hero walking away as, behind his shoulder, an explosion happens. Is this where it started from? Mm. He then takes out all the Jericho missiles and just flies off as, back in the States, these spy satellites are lighting up over Iron Man's destruction. The military, clueless as ever, surprise, surprise, call down a roadie to ID this unmanned drone, I think it is, because he's the head of... I don't know, secret operations, I'm guessing. Mm. He calls Tony to ask if it's one of, of Tony's toys, but Tony denies it, so Roddy has two F-22s flank him and a quick dogfight ensues. However, Tony being far too small to lock on and easily outflies the jets, hiding under one of 
the jazz, so Tony calls Roddy to tell him it's him and to call off the dogs. And note, Roddy's ringtone for his cell phone is the Iron Man theme from the 70s. One of the pilots sees Iron Man hiding under the F-22 and tells the other to shake him off. This causes Iron Man to fly off and hit the F-22's wing, so Iron Man has to save the pilot after his parachute refuses to open. The next day, Roddy tells the press it was an F-22 training mishap to cover for Tony. Pepper catches Tony getting out of the Iron Man suit with him saying, quote, This is not the worst thing you ever caught me doing now, is it? And it takes him all night to get out of that suit. There's a design flaw and a half. That night in Galmir, Obadiah meets with and kills the, nine, so the, the ten rings, stealing the Mark I suit. Tony then sends Pepper to his office to steal any and all information on Obadiah's double dealings. She reluctantly does so and finds everything on a PC. However, she's almost caught by Obadiah, so she runs off to have her meeting with Coulson. And note, one of the files says Lebowski. This is a nod to the big Lebowski. It's here she finds out about Sector 16 and a warmonger suit, which is a gigantic version of the Mark I suit, just armed to the teeth. She also finds out shock horror. He was the one that had Tony kidnapped all along. Da, da, da. Obadiah rushes to the lab to get his scientists to make him a smaller arc reactor. When they say they can't, he steals Tony. Using a paralyzing sound device and a cutter slash cloth thing, that is the perfect size for Tony's reactor. Even though this was only the second time he saw this reactor, he has a thing just lying around. Okay then. Tony has less than two minutes to get to the old Mark I reactor to save his life. Meanwhile, Pepper has been rushed to Shield HQ and has told him everything. And one teeny tiny little thing here. If Shield has the blueprints for Tony's suit, that means Hydra had them. Then why didn't Hydra have an Iron Man suit made? If Hydra and Shield are one and the same thing. Spoilers for later, by the way. Pepper rushes Coulson and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents to Sector 16, in which Oberdai lies in wait in the warmonger suit. Back with Tony, he has placed in the old Mark I reactor, however only has 33% power left. He has no choice but to suit up to save Pepper, and cue what should have been a balls-to-the-wall fight between Warmonger and Iron Man. Except it's not. It's basically Iron Man dodging stuff as... Warmonger throws stuff at him, such as cars and bikes and the odd terrible explosion. Hmm. And also, Tony was weakened to only had a quarter of his power left, or even a third of his power left, and dropping, but he somehow wins by tricking him to fly straight up into the sky, causing the ice problem. Okay then, is whoever wrote this ending is a... Ooh. Note, this Warmonger suit was a real thing that weighed over 800 pounds and was over 10 feet tall and it took 52 men to puppet it apparently. And this was one of the last things Stan Mosen worked on before he died. In a fight that goes all over the freeway, including Warmonger throwing Tony an Audi full of people and a motorbike for some reason, with power levels dropping Tony flies straight up in a desperate attempt to stop Warmonger. And question for you here. Is Warmonger actually the Hulkbuster suit? With Warmonger's suit iced up and Iron Man out of juice, both crash land on top of Tony's lab. So Tony desperately fights off Warmonger as Pepper overloads the huge arc reactor in the lab. This sends out a shockwave of electricity that fries Warmonger's suit, sending an EMP pulse into the sky. And I wonder if it's the start of this fad 
where things are beaming to the sky. Hmm. Anyway, uh, wouldn't this shockwave or EMP blast take out every plane, helicopter, cell phone tower and power line in the city? Hmm. Stunned, a warmonger falls to his death into the arc reactor, blowing it sky high. Tony's suit somehow flickers to life, even though that should have been fried along with Jarvis. Because if it takes out War Machine, it should take out Jarvis and Iron Man. Moving on. Next morning, Roddy hosts a press conference as Tony says, I am Iron Man. As I Am Iron Man by Black Sabbath plays as credits roll. On to my pet peeve at end credit scene of Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury wanting to talk to Tony about the Avengers Initiative. So that was Iron Man. I know this is often voted as one of the best superhero movies ever. However, this could have been cut by at least 30 to 40 minutes and lose the Tony slash Pepper lovey dovey shit. However, great effects for the most part. Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. The villain is weak, but that's par for most Marvel superhero movies. I'm going to give this thing a, what do you know, a 6, possibly 7 out of 10. Hmm. Just that end fight seems a bit weak, but moving on. Anyway, come back next week for my look at Iron Man 2. Then the rest of the month is Avengers, Iron Man 3 and Age of Ultron. July is Captain America. August and September is Superman. October is Houseween, my look at the house franchise. November is No Scare Vember, my look at the scary movie movies. So don't forget to share, like, comment, subscribe, and get this thing out here. I need a bloody listens. Also, follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pods and email me with suggestions to Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com. Also, check out my franchise podcast of Mad Max, Star Wars, Psycho, Omen, and more. Also, my solo podcast of Batman Returns, Catwoman, Die Hard, The Fog, and many, many more. Also, if you're feeling generous, check out my Patreon podcast, where for just $1 a month you get access to exclusive hour-plus-long uncut, unscripted, and unedited podcasts, such as Beetlejuice and Tank Girl. Eh, bye! credit scenes here. Off you go. Yes, you. Yes, you. There. Listening to this thing. Yes, off you go. There's no end credit scenes here. Off you pop now.